Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Okay, I've I've got uh, I've I've got one for you here. This is this is an interesting one. You've heard me, of course, talk about schools becoming insolvent, the lack of responsibility, how they're not accepting any responsibility for anything that they've done. Certainly not over the last three years. And uh, the the vast majority, I should say, of this particular episode is going to be about that. Um, I've I've watched a school board meeting here. This again specifically is the school district where my niece and nephew go. It's one of the larger school districts in the state of Ohio, and they are uh, becoming insolvent. They're really in some dire straits here, and as it turns out, their excuse making is second to none. Again, as you would expect, they are, uh, they're not accepting any responsibility for anything that they've done, and they're, they're honing in now on some really key sentences and key word usage that I find absolutely remarkable. I, uh, I'm going to get into that, as that's going to be the vast majority of this episode, but before I do that, I do want to say a quick thank you to Everybody who who commented on uh, my whistleblowing experience and last week's episode from a week ago, I received a great deal of emails and comments in the comments section, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, I, I fully understand that I'm not alone in that regard. Numerous individuals have experienced very similar things, and many of you have also. And I just again wanted to say thank you. I, I've read all the comments, and I and I read the emails as well. Uh, one particular email I received was from an individual in California, a single mother. They know who they are, and thank you for that email. I replied back to them, and uh, their their story is absolutely fantastic when it comes to taking control of their child's life and their child's education and getting their child out of out of the California school system. It's absolutely amazing. They apparently have found a separate school that uses the Abeka curriculum, which is great, and uh, and that's where their child is now, as opposed to, again, the indoctrination camp that is American K-12 schools. So thank you for, again for that email. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. And yeah, I hope more information from this particular episode, you know, reaffirms your decision and reaffirms everyone's decision when it comes to getting out of this crumbling, this crumbling mess. Because again, these people are arguably some of the dumbest that exist. They are, they're so brainwashed, it's sad. It really is. And here's what I would really equate it to. As I sort of ease into this uh, this financial situation with this particular school district, if you really want to watch a group of individuals who have no idea what they're doing, you really need to watch a school board meeting specifically. Um, school board meetings are uh, well, I should say this. Let me start over. You should watch a school board meeting as an awake person. If you're awake and you know what that word means, and you know what that feeling is, then then you are in fact awake. God himself has, has saved your soul and has shown you the real world that exists, and you're continuing to learn about what that real world is. But if you want to watch a school board meeting as an awake person, you're going to see people who are dead asleep. 
it's almost like you're you're a former fish standing on your on your back fin outside of a fish tank with your arms crossed looking at the fish still inside the tank and they're the fish inside the tank don't even know that they're in the tank i don't know if that's a very good comparison but you get what i'm saying it it really is sad to watch these individuals not take any responsibility for anything they're doing and if you want to get your blood pressure up or if you want to uh you know exercise for the day the best way to do that honestly is to is to watch a school board meeting these people are insane and i mean that literally they are nuts they're absolutely nuts so let me dive in now to the Westerville City Schools in Ohio in Westerville Ohio into their latest board meeting <sighs> i i got to this is just this is really going to get my pulse up I can feel it already. First of all, it was a two-hour-plus meeting, about two hours and 30 minutes. I watched it in its entirety. These individuals, uh, well, first of all, let me set the stage here just to, to remind everybody. You have a new superintendent who's, who's brand new to the district as of just a couple of months ago, which means he bought into the COVID lie also in his previous district. Every single person who currently sits on the board now bought into the COVID lie. They were all part of the mask wearing. They were all part of all of that. And now again, you have individuals who are always advocating for more special education and more what they call mental health services, quote unquote. Now, I'm going to get into that avenue in just a second, but in the middle of the meeting, the treasurer gave their five-year forecast presentation. This is the same woman who openly stated, again, in a previous meeting, that the reason that everyone's health insurance costs have gone up by at least 13% is because, quote, that's just the way the market is right now, unquote. Now, of course, what she doesn't know, because she's brainwashed, and so is everybody else who is in that board meeting and, and clearly everybody else who works for that district, along with any other district you really want to pick, is that it's all jab-related. The shots have caused people to die, get sick, and then use their health insurance if they're still alive more than they've ever used it. That's why all the premiums are going up. That's why the cost of health insurance is going up. They're losing their customers from the shots because they're dead. And then their still existing customers are using their services more than they've ever used them because they have to because they're jabbed and ill. So that's why the costs are going up across the board in every insurance avenue. In this, in this presentation, though, that the treasurer gives again the calm nature in which they're talking about going broke is astounding to me they're so casual about it and i'm just going to kind of cut to the chase before i get through some of the specifics here because again i find this fascinating they they're shooting themselves in the foot with a 12 gauge shotgun and they don't even know why their feet are falling off they're going well how do we stop this bang, and they just keep doing it, and they don't know that they're the cause. 
They have no idea that they are the cause. At the end of all of this, at the end of her presentation, she openly states, we have no choice but to put a levy on the ballot for the 2024 election. An operating levy. Again, Westerville is in the top, I want to say, seven school districts in the state as far as size is concerned. They have at least three high schools, at least three, maybe even four. God knows how many middle schools and probably a million elementary schools for all I know. But they don't know, again, that they are the cause for their own financial problems. And there are many reasons for it. But let me get into some of the specifics here. Remember the ESSER money, the E-S-S-E-R cash that they all receive through the CARAX nonsense? Because, again, COVID isn't real. So they got all this government money to spend on mask wearing and renovations and XYZ. Westerville City Schools received $2 million in ESSER 1 money. They received $9.5 million in ESSER 2 money. And I hope you're sitting down. $21.1 million in ESSER 3 money. They have to use up all of their ESSER 3 money by next September of 2024. As far as their other funds are concerned, they receive 62 to 65% from property taxes. So again, way over half, clearly, of their budget comes from property taxes, already existing property taxes. The rest, again, it's donations and what the state gives them and XYZ. The one thing that's happening across the entire United States, and I'll tell you, it came from them all accepting the COVID cash. If every school district, it, I mean, it was, the, you talk about a colossal rat trap from a money standpoint. If, if a single K-12 school district turned down the ESSER money and the CARES Act cash, if every single one of them turned it down, the state would have more money to give them over the long haul. But they don't now. They don't have that cash anymore. And they're rewriting their own legislation at the state levels in every state across the United States to make up for that difference. Again, they accepted the, the ESSER money. And they're like, we're rich. And then they spent it on, on useless shit. And now, they're, and now they're broke. And they're all going, oh, well, the state's not giving us anymore. You shouldn't have taken it in the first place and you'd have been just fine. But there's another problem here. The other problem has to do specifically with what they're actually allowing to continue to exist within their school district. So, first of all, the amount of money that they are paying people is remarkable. And again, they continue to hire people that don't even need to be there. One of the larger aspects of this particular meeting, which was just mind bending, and you've heard me speak about this at, at length. And it has to do with the presence of, again, what they call mental health services. You listen to these people whine and complain and moan about not having enough counselors, social workers, mental health specialists, blah, blah, blah. By the sounds of it, it sounds like every single school is a mental institution. 
like every single school is filled with just retarded people who need padded rooms. That's how they make it sound. There, there was also another individual, there were at least three of them, who are associated with sort of like, I don't know what they are, they're like counselor liaisons, which that right there again, that's a word that drives me up the wall. You talk about a useless position, and it has to do with school district liaisons. Give me a break. These people make copious amounts of money for doing next to nothing. All they do is, again, they're just order followers, and they give advice, and they show up at a board meeting, and well, we manage the counselors, and we do this, and we do that. It's a useless position. But what they're advocating for constantly, and this should bother everybody, whether you have children or not, is that they openly state that they are interested in younger children having access to counselors to create a foundation for our quote-unquote kids so that they have this all the way through their entire schooling experience. She even goes so far as to say she wants children to have access to counselors at the age of two years old. Two. She openly says this, that she wants two and three-year-olds to have a foundation because we have to get them young and we have to... I mean, I I honestly thought I was listening to Vladimir Lenin. It was astounding. Very soft-spoken, overweight black woman. Again, just, you know, well, we just need, they just need to have have counselors. And the, the, the younger they are, you know, hopefully we can get as many counselors in the kindergarten age and elementary schools as humanly possible. Ladies and gentlemen, I've told this story before. When I was in school, we had next to zero counselors. And the one counselor we had actually thought that putting his hand in a sock and making the sock talk to all of us was an inviting thing that would cause us to want to go talk to him if something bad was happening. The guy was an idiot. Again, I've been over the counseling profession before, which even one of the board members, the board president, who's a complete moron, She openly states, she goes, what's the difference between a counselor and a social worker? Can you help us with that? She actually asked that question. Now, I know she's probably asking it to, again, ask it on behalf of the citizens who don't know. So she just asks it, and then that's that. It's it's beyond ridiculous. In today's day and age, counselors are secretaries. They do basically everything. They they counsel and supervise standardized tests at the state level. They they supervise attendance, scheduling. It's a thousand other things. Very rarely these days are they actually bringing in a child who is in real dire straits and actually helping that child. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Of course it does. But very rarely. They're basically overpaid secretaries. That's essentially what the job has become. Why is that, though? Because school districts have hired endless people now to, again, fill in all kinds of other responsibilities. That's why you have intervention specialists, quote-unquote, and mental health experts, and all these other people that they hire, and then the liaisons that manage all of them. It's all wasteful spending, all of it. You should Again, you should hear the way that they talk because they sound like if they don't have four counselors in an elementary school, that's like driving down the, the highway 
with only three tires on your automobile. I mean, all hell breaks loose and they all lose their minds. It's completely reckless. It's fiscally irresponsible. Uh, and, and again, they're the ones causing it and they don't even seem to know it. Now, there's a couple of charts here that the treasurer showed, which are amazing. Again, this goes back to the personnel expenses. Get a load of this. This is why they're becoming insolvent. And again, the calm nature in which she brings this up is amazing. This is in millions now. For As far as personnel are concerned, when it comes to their cost, their salaries, their services, their retirement, and their insurance benefits, this year alone, they're spending $157.65 million. In 2028, they'll be spending $223.84 million. So the money that's, again, I'm not an economist, but I can understand this basic line graph because the next, the next chart's just absolutely insane. As the expenditures are increasing, the amount of money that they're bringing in is remaining the same and decreasing. Now, what does that mean? It means you're broke. But why are your expenses increasing? And here's the kicker. Their expenses are increasing because of all the useless shit that they've bought and been associated with over the course of at least a decade, if not longer. The education business is designed in the United States to be bankrupt because it already is. Again, you don't have to be an economist to know that if you spend more than what you're bringing in, you're going to be in debt, which means then you're going to be begging for it. You're going to be begging for money. And that's what they're doing now. It was actually funny because at the end of her presentation, not only did she say, we need another levy. We need a levy next year. They got back into their regular meeting and they were talking about all their problems and then giggling about it and ha 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 and whatever else. And I have a few comments about that too. But at the end, the treasurer kind of silenced everybody very quickly because the board president says, well, you know, in the future, you know, when we consider a levy, when we consider a levy, the treasurer cuts in a little bit later and goes, we don't have a choice. There has to be a levy here. There, it's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, it's not a, well, we're going to consider it. I mean, she openly said, we don't have a choice. We have to put a levy on the ballot. And the answer is yes, they do. They have no choice. But here's the kicker. And again, this is the opportunity of opportunities. It can't get more wrapped in a perfect present than this. The best way to make them disappear as a school district and put their balls in a vice is to absolutely crush them by not voting for a levy. They don't deserve it, number one. Number two, they've abused Everybody in the school district, because they're all brainwashed and they think COVID is real, and it's not, never was, never has been, still isn't. And they're fiscally irresponsible. And, I should say, the biggest one perhaps, they don't take any responsibility for the fact that they were the ones who caused it in the first place. 
and they're not alone. This is every school district in America. Every single one. Now, here's what they continue to say. Again, they continue to harp on this mental and emotional health thing. And we need mental and emotional support and social and emotional support. The superintendent himself even said this. I should play the audio, but it's going to be hard for me to find his comments because it was a long meeting. And I wasn't, well, I wasn't watching it looking for timestamps for audio, so my apologies. But the guy actually said that COVID is to blame and that the residual effects of COVID are the reason that we need more social and emotional support in our schools. If it were possible for me to jump through a screen and strangle someone to death, it would have been right then and there. Because he, in his last school district, went along with the COVID lie, just like everybody who currently sits on that school board, and most school boards, went along with the COVID lie. They were responsible for snapping the minds of youth. Yes, their parents are to blame, no doubt about it. Yes, the iPads are to blame and YouTube and all the TV propaganda bullshit. All of that is all to blame. But the schools themselves openly put masks on children, gagged them, increased all of their health risks, socially, emotionally, physically, increased their likelihood of getting cancer as a result of oxygen deprivation, and then I'm sure somewhere along the line encouraged their staff members to get COVID shots, even though they can't name a single ingredient. Because you know every school nurse went along with it. They were all in on it. And whether the board members said it out of their own mouths or not within this school district, I know they did in the district where I live. They openly said it all the time. Get your shots. It's the best way to prevent against COVID. They kept saying it over and over again. But whether this district did it in Westerville, Ohio or not is irrelevant. They probably told their nurses, you're the experts. You, you, do, what, you do what you think is best. I, I just cannot, I, I, uh, I got nothing on this. I'm almost speechless. I'm so angry, I'm almost speechless. These people are the dumbest humans on the face of the planet. And you've heard me again say this time and time again. If any of what happened over the last three years happened in 2019, they'd all be fired. They all would have been psyche-valed, arrested for being nuts. They all would have lost their certifications and licensure and XYZ, and they would have been put in a padded room. But not now. They're all, they all went along with it. So there was no crime. And they're not accepting any responsibility for anything they're doing. The superintendent then said this in his infinite wisdom. They actually believe, and he actually believes, that communicating with the public about what to do in their district and what to help and what to offer the students and even meeting, as he says, with 66 students in the board office or the boardroom where they, where they hold their actual meetings, that he's going to be meeting with 66 students to ask them what they would like to see within their school district. 
I would love for one awake student to show up at that meeting and say, you were responsible for all of the abuse that took place throughout this entire time. The outgoing previous superintendent was responsible, and now you're here, and now it's on your plate because you did it in your old district, and now everybody's just doing it all again. And you're the reason that the school district is insolvent. Your actions and your inability to accept responsibility for child abuse. It blows me away. I have to mention this too. I don't mean to ruffle feathers. I really don't. But this has to be mentioned. You've heard me comment on the agreeable nature of women in the workplace when they're all around women. And I know that not all women are agreeable with other women. In fact, many of the very tough women who clearly listen to this show, and you all know who you are, you wouldn't go along with these kinds of people even if your job depended on it because you know the difference between right and wrong. The problem with these school environments, and I'm flat out going to say it, is, is that it is not only dominated by women, but ballless men. The men have no testicles at all in these school districts. None. Zero. They're inside their body. I don't know where they are. But one of the sociological dynamics that occurs, and you can see it in these board meetings, you truly can, is this agreeable nature of, of the men trying to get along with the women and then a group of women shows up to the lectern to give a presentation and then all of the women are agreeing and they're all saying things in a particular way, wrapped in a, in, you know, a nice president with a nice bow on top to make it sound like we're all on the same page no matter what. What they don't understand is that they're all on the Titanic trying to keep it afloat, and they're all looking at each other nodding in agreement. Yes, let's just keep bucketing buckets of water off of the Titanic and we'll be 100% fine. Oh, is that another iceberg? Well, it's, you know, whatever. And then they just keep doing the same shit over and over and over again. Nobody has a set on them in these school districts. Nobody. Nobody is saying what needs to be said, which is they are responsible for all of this. They're responsible for all of it. It's every single association that they make. Every association that they're a part of, every partnership, quote unquote, that, that they're a part of. Well, we have a contract with this and we have an incoming grant for that. And uh, even the school district, they said they're putting up another T-Mobile 5G tower in the parking lot of one of their schools. So they know nothing about electromagnetic radiation and 5G towers. We know that. I mean, you, you, you can hear how hot I get about this because, again, no one is an alpha male in the room. Nobody's saying what needs to be said here. They actually, again, and this gets into the word usage and the phrases that they use. I can't believe the shit that comes out of their mouths. Here's a couple of direct quotes. They actually say this, and they say it, I should say, with a level of fluidity that is really disturbing. I mean, they say it uh, almost like they're they're... They're saying their child's name. They have these phrases now. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Here was the first one that, that popped out to me. They, they use this. They said, quote, post-COVID crisis assessment. 
Have you ever heard that before? They actually said this. I think it came out of the superintendent's mouth. A post-COVID crisis assessment. What in the hell does that mean? And then they said this. Post-COVID needs. We have to meet the post-COVID needs of these students. That's why we need more social-emotional learning and mental health services is because of post-COVID needs. What in the ever-living shit does that mean? They're creating buzz phrases and words based on their own abusive tactics. And then they're using that made-up word for something that doesn't exist as an excuse to cover for the fact that they don't know what they're doing, what they're talking about, or anything else. They're making up words, ladies and gentlemen. They're making up phrases. It's like the goddamn Twilight Zone. It truly is. And then they said this, and again, honestly, it's an eye rubber. Ugh. They said this. They keep saying that, well, they keep referring to, to, to the students in this school as, as their kids. Our kids, our kids, our kids. Just shut up with the our kids thing. They're not government's kids. You are government. They aren't your kids. They're someone's children. They're certainly not yours. And they then said this. They referred to their elementary school students who they claim need to have counselors starting at the age of two. They referred to them as, quote-unquote, our littles. Now, I've never taught elementary school, but this is the first time I've heard this phrase. Our little ones, that we need counseling services for our littles. You have to be completely brainwashed and, and completely mentally ill into believing that if you work for a school district, that the children who attend, who are students, are somehow your kids, your littles or whatever the hell you want to call them. That's absolutely nuts. And this is why they are in the situation that they are in. It's a level of emotional attachment that blinds them from doing what is right. Because emotions are not facts, as we know. They're not the same thing. And when emotions are heightened, in any situation, cognitive decline is always present. Your inhibitions start to drop. You start to not think critically. A thousand other things occur. Some people can balance them out nicely. Others can't. And in an environment like this with ballless men and the vast majority being agreeable women, this is a huge problem. This is why the business is failing. There was also this part, which was hilarious. I couldn't believe that they even admitted this. One of the guys who's associated or in charge of the special education in the entire district, he's, again, their coordinator, their liaison, whatever you want to call him. Again, a useless position because special education teachers 
if they exist, should just be able to do their job without his input. Does he make more than a special education teacher? You bet your ass he does. He makes money hand over fist for doing next to nothing. He's a useless position. Fire him. But he actually said this regarding the younger teachers, teaching staff. rather. He said, when they were having this conversation about technology use, he says the vast majority of our younger teachers were born in the early 2000s. So they're in, of course, their, young, their, their early 20s. He said they've known nothing but technology use. They've had nothing but technology. And then he says, in their teacher education programs, all they're learning is how to use technology to teach. That you have to use this tech program and that tech program and this website and that website and this gimmick and this toy and blah, 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 blah. And he's right. He's right. He openly indicted teacher education programs as having their heads in their asses. And he's right. And then he said this, which again was even more of an indictment on younger teachers. He says, when the technology stops working or they don't have access to the technology, he said, the younger teachers don't know what to do. They feel like they've been thrown back into the Stone Age. So you quite literally, as a business, are producing teachers who don't know how to communicate unless technology is involved. Holy shit. That's a problem. That's a serious problem, because what that really shows is a lack of thinking. They can't think. They can't create something at the drop of a hat or on a whim that would be educational for the whole if the power goes out. Again, wrap your mind around that. It's, I mean, I'm laughing. I, I, I'm laughing. It sounds funny. It sounds hilarious. Like, wow, they're really retarded. But then you're going, oh no, they're retarded. That's what the environment is. And what was funny and sad, all mixed together, funny, haha, and sad, oh my God, was that they were chuckling about it as middle aged adults. They're all in the room going, ha, 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 yeah, younger teachers, technology. Isn't that funny? I'm going, no, no, this isn't funny. This is a serious problem. This is, again, the purposeful dumbing down of America. This is it. If you can make the future instructors of youth stupid and maintain that level of stupidity generation after generation, by the end of time, the vast majority of people are just going to be stupid. I mean, we see it in every walk of life all of the time, everywhere, do we not? But this is amazing. And here's one of their solutions, believe it or not, because they actually said this too. They were actually advocating toward the end, and this again was the Lenin, the Leninite, if you want to call her that, the old, we got to get them while they're young and build that foundation at the age of two. They're actually advocating for, for all-day-long kindergarten. Now, if you went to kindergarten like I did, it was half a day. 
That's the way that it typically works. Not everywhere, I'm sure, but it was half a day. You'd either go in the morning or you'd go in the afternoon. That was it. The bus would come and pick you up around lunchtime, and then we'd head on home, and that was kindergarten. This woman, who's, who's again, advocating for all-day-long kindergarten, probably, we can assume, is a proponent of preschool and that entire charade. And then, of course, they better be in preschool by age of two so that we can get them all the counseling services and all the paperwork and we can track the ever-living shit out of them for the rest of their life right through senior year in high school. We'll have their entire digital footprint on endless computers for endless people to see, including foreign countries and what could possibly go wrong. These people have no idea what they're doing. No idea. So, hypothetically, and that was basically the end of the presentation for the most part, but hypothetically, if you walked into one of these board meetings when they're, when they're discussing this kind of crap, you have to look at them, call them ballless. Say, why is it that you're all agreeing all of the time? Are you interested in just protecting your jobs? Is that why you're all just aimlessly agreeing? Because the thing that needs to be said is never being said. They need to start firing people. You do not need wellness coordinators, five counselors per school building, multiple social workers, intervention specialists, coaches, sports teams. You don't need any of that. None of it. You don't need foreign language. I said it. You don't need foreign language. Don't need it. You don't need art, music, PE. You don't need any of it. If you don't know how to draw, an art class isn't going to make you a drawer. If you don't know how to play an instrument, that's not going to happen in a, in, in, a, in a music class in school. Everybody knows what instruments are. I've said this before. The best way to learn an instrument is to learn it on your own. The best people who are the best musicians in the history of, of being musicians are the people who are generally self-taught. They started young and they just kept playing on their own. They weren't being whipped in the back in order to play. They just naturally, in just a natural God-given ability to do it. Different motivations for wanting to do it, perhaps. Maybe they just enjoy it. Maybe it, again, runs in the family. But the wasteful spending is through the roof. And what are they doing now? What is their solution? A levy. They want to tax people who are having a hard time making things meet, making ends meet rather, on their own, on a constant basis now. If anybody votes for any school levy, you're a brain-dead moron. It's that simple. If you make the school district insolvent overnight with your lack of attendance, by pulling your children out, you won't have to pay property taxes the way that they want you to pay them. Your property taxes will decrease because there won't be a school system there. But people don't know this because they're in the matrix. They're too brainwashed. They're too plugged in. And we've all, again, we've seen that movie. We've read the movie. We, we've seen the memes. We know the lines in the movie. These are the individuals that are fighting to maintain the matrix because they can't, for the life of them, understand what life is like without it. 
They just don't know. It's, a, it's just incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I hope that what I just explained right there, and I didn't make any of that up, all of that's real. What I just explained should reaffirm why you have pulled your children out of these school districts. And hopefully it reaffirms your decision because you've made an exquisite decision. You're, you're way ahead of the curve. And again, speaking of ahead of the curve, what's funny is, is that when you hear this school district and these people talk in Westerville, Ohio, they have no idea that they're actually so far behind the curve that endless school districts in Ohio are already experiencing and have experienced what they are currently experiencing now, and they were experiencing it years ago, just like one or two years ago, where they're having to throw levies on the ballot because they're going insolvent and they don't know why. Stop spending money. <laughs> That's it. All they have to do is stop spending it. Well, our expenditures are going up. We'll cut it out. Cut it out. You're wasting your money on useless shit that no one needs. When we went to school, we didn't have any of that crap. There was none of it. There was no mental health services and counselors, you know, uh, grabbing at our ankles and pulling us into, into their rooms to talk to us about our problems and blah, blah, blah. There was none of that shit. None of that existed. We had a fat guy who stuck a, a, a sock on his, on his hand. Mr. Peepers was his name, I think. And, his, and, you know, he'd move his little hand and he'd make a beep noise. You want to come talk to Mr. Peepers? And I'm like, no, I'm not retarded. I don't need to talk to a sock on your hand. Are you high? <laughs> oh my God. They make it sound, though, again, th th this is part of the problem. They make it sound like every child is, is mentally handicapped. Like every child needs counseling. Because again, keep in mind, and this is huge, they, they keep bringing up these COVID lines, post-COVID era, and hell, I got it written right here. Hang on. I said it earlier. Post-COVID crisis assessments, post-COVID needs, they're on drugs. These people are on drugs. They're not thinking. So in conclusion, at least regarding the board meeting, I have more financial things to bring up from New Mexico. Sicily has sent me a couple of exquisite stories that are just incredible. But uh, you may recall that one of the board members is in my Deadpool, a Mrs. Jennifer Altman. Uh, she was reelected to the board, God knows why. Throughout the entire meeting, she's coughing her brains out. And it's it's that low diaphragm, bottom of the lung cough. It's not that up top, you know, uh, base of the throat, upper lung, you know, quick, clear your throat thing. This is one of those guttural, like, uh -huh, uh -huh, coughs. Because she's jabbed to the bone, and she has AIDS. And her central nervous system has been injected with this synthesized snake venom, which is what the COVID shots are. Again, these people... It's, it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rubbing my scalp off here. It, it really is astounding how, how far gone they are. And these are the people responsible for youth. 
at least they think that they're responsible for youth. Ultimately, it's the parents who are responsible for their own children. But my God in heaven, when you hand your children over to people like that, that I just described, and the things that they say, uh, I, I, I don't, I, you know, you have, you have coming all the problems that you have coming. You, you really do. At some point, the onus is on you. It just falls on you as a parent. Again, the superintendent thinks that asking students what they want in the district is going to solve their problems. He has to be on drugs. You don't ask a child anything. You don't. That's my opinion. It's just one of those things that, you know, you just don't ask a child what they would like to see and how can we run this multi-million dollar corporation that we call a school district? What do you think, child? You don't do that. But as a school district, you don't ask children what they want. They'll say pizza and video games. And then you slap them across the head and you say, go back to class. It's ridiculous. It's a complete waste of time. But he's doing this because, again, he's a man of the people. He's one of these guys who takes over one of these positions and tries to be liked by everybody. Most students don't know the name of their superintendent, nor should they. They should stay as far away from administrators as humanly possible. I've provided the same advice to school teachers. Stay as far away from administrators as humanly possible. Stay as far away from superintendents. Don't even walk into the district office. Stay as far away from these people as humanly possible. The more you're known by them, the worse things get. You're just shining a light on, on you constantly, and then they know who you are and X, Y, Z. Again, the vast majority, well, I should say this. It's also one of the reasons why there's very little input from parents in these meetings. Parents don't show up to these Westerville City School Board meetings and yell at these people. That's all they should be doing. That's the only thing they should be doing. But this district is making it sound like their shit doesn't stink. And I have to tell you, again, the people in that town are so brainwashed, they will vote for a levy. I bet they do, and I bet it passes. Because according to them, as a school district, their school district is the foundation of their community. Without it, they have nothing, according to them. They, they, again, they openly said that in the meeting. We need this school district. It, it has to exist. They're begging for the matrix. They're begging to stay in it because you can't, again, Aldous Huxley said it and he was right. They don't know that the walls of their prison are invisible. They don't know that they're in jail. Because if they can't see the walls, well, there is no prison. It's M. Night Shyamalan's The Village all over again. If you're blind, as the girl was in that movie, you have no idea that you're living in a cult. It truly is cultish behavior. It is a level of brainwashing that is right there with a cult. It's so sad. God, is it sad. Because there's so many children that go there, and they think that they're learning something. And they're not learning anything that's factually accurate. 
It's so, God, it's so depressing. <laughs> it's just awful. Just awful. Okay. Now, New Mexico. Let me get into this. These are doozies also. Right up there with advocating for day-long kindergarten, like that's going to solve something. Here's what a district in New Mexico is doing. It says rural, this is from KOB4.com or KOB.com. Rural school districts in New Mexico hope to keep four-day weeks. Because a four-day work week is going to solve everything. I mean, it's going to make a lot of people happy. And again, why are they doing this? They're doing it so that they can cut the lights off on the fifth day, save a little bit of money, and then they use the four-day work week as a hiring tool. They actually think it's an incentive. This will bring in more teachers, in particular young teachers, because they don't want to work five days a week. So we'll make it four days a week, and then, you know, we'll just have more people who will want to work here instead of, say, work over there where they have to work five days a week. It's ridiculous. Give this audio a listen in three, two, one. So how does a three-day weekend every weekend sound to you? For many school districts in our state, that's exactly what they've been enjoying for a long time. But now one state agency is trying to change it. Tamara Lopez spoke with one superintendent today about why they're not happy about this move, Tamara. What did he have to say? Well, Julie, Ron Hendricks of the Socorro School District Superintendent says the New Mexico Public Education Department is trying to create a new rule that would make schools have a certain number of days in the school year. Now, that comes after the New Mexico State Legislature passed a law saying schools only had to have a certain number of hours. And he says his school district is not happy about the possible change. You know, we we have more opportunities in these little small towns because of our demographics. David Hicks is the Socorro School Board president, and he's talking about the district's four-day school week. We're not Albuquerque. We're not, you know, we're not a huge Las Cruces. They can do unique things we can't do, but we can also do unique things that they can't do. Because Socorro students have Fridays off, the district offers voluntary CTE programs for older kids like welding or automotive. But now their four-day week week is threatened by the New Mexico Public Education Department. Socorro Superintendent Ron Hendricks says he got a notice from the PED that the department will hold a rule hearing to change that. It will require 180 days of instruction, overruling House Bill 130 passed by the state legislature, requiring a certain number of hours of instruction. We had a compromise. The legislature jumped in there and said we don't want to say it's done by days. It can be done by hours, which is in statute. And so that's what we really fought for. And the legislator helped, legislators helped us with that. Hendricks says the four-day week is a way to keep teachers. Since the switch, the district has been fully staffed. Teacher morale has been off the charts since we started this. Um, right now, I have 22% of my teachers that drive in from other communities. I have about another 9 to 11% who can retire tomorrow if they wanted to, but they're staying because of the four-day week. 38 other rural districts are also on a four-day school week and would also have to rethink their entire curriculum. Hendricks says superintendents across the state are set to meet this Friday about this issue and the PED hearing is set for sometime in December. But we'll keep you updated with what happens at both of those meetings. Back to you guys. What will end up happening is they'll keep the four-day work week and they'll just cut into their summer break. 
that's that's all that'll happen. Your summer break will be will be shorter, and you'll keep your four day work week. They'll take all the Fridays that everybody's not showing up. They'll just add them all together and then cut out, you know, carve out time during the summer. And they think that's boosting morale. It's a shell game. The whole thing is a shell game. Aren't four-day work weeks great? Sure, I guess. Wouldn't you rather have an entire summer off? I mean, who knows? I understand differing opinions, different strokes for different folks. I fully get it. But they're still just trying to pick up mercury with a fork. They're doing whatever they can to make their district look more attractive to the people who are currently there and the people who may want to show up. And they use it again as a hiring tactic. Because again, morale is not through the roof. It's probably in the tank. But they use these small little gimmicks and games in order to please the masses because they think that it's a permanent fix to a much deep-seated problem, which is that you're lying to everybody. <laughs> the, the entire curriculum is a lie. But you got to maintain the lie and you got to, you know, you got to change the environment a little bit to to I don't know, keep the cult members happy, I suppose. It's wild. It's just wild. Uh and here's another one. Uh Catholic school in Albuquerque closes after 74 years. Now this again, kind of shocking. It's a separate school. You would hope that it wouldn't that, that a school like this wouldn't close, but again, let's figure out why. Give this a listen in three, two, one. After 74 years, a school in Albuquerque is closing its doors. Reps for Our Lady of Fatima Catholic School told family, staff, and faculty they have until May to find a new school. Monica Legronio is at the school's campus for us now. And Monica, what led to this decision to shut down? Tessa, Julie, school leaders say there's just not enough students signing up for class. One employee we talked to is devastated. He says Our Lady of Fatima is a special place, not only for students, but also for employees. This is awful because it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful school, it's a beautiful church, beautiful property. After 74 years, Our Lady of Fatima Catholic School is closing its doors. Over the last 10 years, we have noticed a decline in enrollment and for a number of factors. And we've tried many different remedies to bring our enrollment up. And just unfortunately, we've not been able to turn that trend around. The school's principal, Melinda Mater, says it's a decision administrators didn't choose lightly. But with next year's projected enrollment numbers, keeping the school open wouldn't be financially sustainable. Maintenance engineer Carl Jaddy tells us he's sad to see the school close, especially because it feels like family. Everybody works as a team. I don't think, I think the best times, the best times are, uh, you know, the festive occasions, but even in the worst times, you know, uh, I've seen, I've seen the best come out of uh, people's characters. It's an extended family type of vibe. It's a feeling Principal Mater also shares. We are definitely a family here at Our Lady of Fatima, that this is not a decision that was made lightly, and it was a very difficult decision. The 54 students aren't the only ones who have to find new schools. 12 teachers, faculty, and staff also have to look for new opportunities. Being a part of a, a franchise or being a part of a brand and then finding out that they're closing up shop and you have to uh, refurbish your resume and start uh, you know, tentatively uh, looking for, uh, for uh, other work is it's, it's tough. Principal Mater says the administration is committed to working with them to help them find new jobs at other Archdiocesan Catholic schools. 
Tonight, there's a there's a parent meeting where parents and families can learn more about the closure and next steps available to them. Now, students and teachers will be able to finish out the rest of the year with the school closing its doors in May. In Albuquerque, Monica Logroño, KOB4. Schools made it. Her last name is a mouthful. Yikes. Anyway, uh, yeah, lots of reasons why that's occurring. Lots of reasons. Let's go through them as quickly as we possibly can here. More parents are homeschooling their children. That's, I would say, number one. You could even put this one at number one. Uh, more, people are, more people are having less children. That's also a thing. So less, less child rearing, so to speak. Uh, more homeschooling. More reliance, unfortunately, on the public school system. God only knows why. And all of those things are, are occurring. There's also, of course, a biological weapon that numerous parents gave their own children, and uh, family dynamics are changing because people are dying from a biological weapon that was sold to everybody as being medicine for something that doesn't exist. That's happening too. And yeah, again, you would hope that a private school, in particular a Catholic school, would, uh, would maintain itself and be far more attractive to individuals who are not brainwashed. Turns out that's not the case. In fact, I think this should be brought up too, and that's that attendance nationwide in schools is plummeting. Because again, one of the things that is very common in these school districts is as they're, well, I should say this, as they're becoming more insolvent and they're weakening all of their policies and their procedures, and again, they're, they're doing whatever they can to try to make their schools look more attractive. Students are basically playing the entire system, and they know that they can play the system. They know that they can not show up with regularity and still graduate. They know that they can do a fraction of the work and still pass. Again, it, it's a game for many of them, and, and they've figured out how to play the game. With that said, these schools, again, are having such a hard time keeping students around that they're actually using that fake monopoly money that I brought up a week ago, that was kind of the, the Kickstarter to my whistleblowing experience. It was the, it's, it's nationwide. It's remarkably ubiquitous. And again, according to our Michigan business friend, her own son and her own son's school is using these quote-unquote eagle bucks or whatever they call them in their school as a way to incentivize students to attend. So they're, again, saying, hey, if you show up, we'll give you this fake school currency that you can use on school-related things. It's ridiculous. She even said that I think her son is stacking up these Eagle Bucks and actually selling them back to students for real money. And, and students are, are buying them with real cash. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, that's kind of a slick way to make a few bucks, but for students to actually pay real money for fake money, that's a certain level of stupid. But again, you know, the, the attendance issues that these schools are having to deal with now are, uh, are absolutely remarkable, I think. And the games and the gimmicks that they're coming up with in order to get them to show up are just nuts. But again, when you've got things like this next story uh, consistently occurring within these schools, why would a person want to show up? This is from, let's see, coverage you can count on, WBTW13.com. This comes out of Raleigh, North Carolina, where a teen was stabbed to death. 
in what appeared to be a gymnasium in a fight. Uh, they were not white students, if you were curious, and give this a listen in 3-2-1. ...following yesterday's deadly stabbing at Southeast Raleigh Magnet High School. I'm Bill Young. And I'm Liz Ortiz. Two students were stabbed at the school yesterday. One of them died. CBS 17's Maggie Newland is live outside of the school. Maggie, a difficult day for students and staff. A difficult day and a much different scene than we saw just 24 hours ago. There were ambulances and police cars all over this area. Today, the school is closed as students grieve, but grief counselors are available for people who need them. We want to show you some video of the fight that all led up to this. Now, this fight was in the gym of Southeast Raleigh High School about 11 o'clock yesterday morning. At one point, you see a teen in a white shirt with a shiny object in his hand repeatedly jabbing another student. Police charged a 14-year-old student with murder accused of stabbing two students. A 15-year-old died and a 16-year-old was taken to the hospital. Police say he's expected to recover. The school spent the day on code red lockdown with no one allowed in or out. Again, if students need grief counseling, the school did provide parents with a number that they could call to reach out to for help. Grief counselors are also available for staff here, as it is going to be a very difficult time for some time to come. We're live at Southeast Raleigh High School, Maggie Newland, CBS 17 News. Because, you know, it's prison. Just hanging around the general population in prison. A couple of stabs here, a couple of stabs there. Kid ends up dead. Bunch of witnesses, nobody really stopping the fight. Bunch of people recording it with their cell phones. How about we put them in jail too? The people recording it, rooting it on. These are the people that need to go to jail too. At least they charged him with murder. That's good. Shocked it wasn't a slap on the wrist after killing somebody. Absolutely nuts. Now, what administrators and teachers knew that such a thing was going to happen? Did they know in advance? Did this student have a history of violence? Probably. Did somebody not report something when they should have? Probably. It's amazing. These environments are amazing. Here's another one. Loudoun County Schools, the American school district that refuses to learn from its previous mistakes. That should be their slogan. Here's the story regarding their ex-superintendent, a Scott Ziegler. This guy was found guilty in a court of law of retaliation against a special education teacher. It's rather remarkable. Uh, And again, his inability to accept responsibility is astounding. This happened back on September 29th. And of course, now they have a different superintendent who has replaced him, who is actually not any better. And I'll have a follow-up story regarding him in just a moment, but give this audio a listen regarding their last superintendent, a Scott Ziegler. The superintendent of Loudoun County Public Schools was found guilty of retaliating against an employee this afternoon. Former special education teacher Aaron Brooks says that Scott Ziegler fired her because she and others spoke up about one of her students she says was inappropriately touching her in class. A jury convicted Ziegler of that misdemeanor charge but acquitted him on a separate misdemeanor. Northern Virginia Bureau reporter Drew Wilder has been in the courtroom all week. He joins us live now. Drew, what? was the former teacher's reaction when that verdict was run out of the courtroom. 
It was very emotional, Erica. Erin Brooks had actually fell down into her hands and she started crying as her former boss was convicted of retaliating against her after six and a half hours of jury deliberations. The former superintendent, Scott Ziegler, and his attorney exited the courthouse this afternoon, but they refused to answer any questions as they now prepare for his sentencing hearing where he faces up to 12 months in jail and or a $2,500 fine. Now, he had that one conviction, but as you mentioned, the jury found him not guilty of penalizing Aaron Brooks for missing work due to her participation in the attorney general's special grand jury, which was investigating how the school district handled the two unrelated sexual assaults in 2021. Now, during the trial this week, prosecutors argued that Brooks administrators wrote these glowing reviews of her work until conservative activist Ian Pryor vaguely brought up Brooks's claims during a school board meeting. And immediately after that, the prosecutor argued that Ziegler and others manufactured a way to not renew Brooks' year-to-year contract, firing her and her teacher assistant. Brooks has a pending million-dollar lawsuit against Ziegler, so she declined to comment, but we spoke with Pryor shortly after the verdict today. I tried to do the right thing um, for them, and, you know, they got terminated because of that. And, you know, that, that weighs heavily. Um, and so the fact that, that a jury was able to, to see through what they did and to understand that these teachers were trying to get help when they weren't getting any. And, and that was the reason why I spoke out and why I did it in a very you know, vague way, because I wanted the school system to reach out and fix it. In a statement, Attorney General Jason Miares says justice has finally been served in Loudoun County. Erica Leon. So, Drew, you mentioned that Ziegler faces up to a year in jail. When could we see sentencing for that? Yeah, so, Erica, the sentencing hearing is scheduled for January 4th. And while that was being set today, Ziegler's defense attorney told the judge that she plans to file a motion to set aside the jury verdict and started to tease the reason why, which is the very issue that we've been talking about here all week long. This is a very nuanced law that Ziegler was convicted of, and she thinks the jury got it wrong. She also points out that any superintendent in Virginia can choose not to renew a year-to-year teacher contract without giving any clause. So she'll make that argument just before he's scheduled for sentencing early next year. You guys. All right, Drew Wilder, live for us outside the courtroom. Drew, thank Thank you. you, Okay, a few things here. Number one, the Aaron Brooks teacher, um, female, no relation. It says here that, again, the superintendent didn't renew her contract via retaliation or as a result of retaliating against her. Because again, she apparently attempted to tell individuals or someone else ended up alerting the school board about her being inappropriately touched. And it says here, her and a a teaching assistant up to 40 times a day. Now again, I can't cast stones, but you can see how such a thing can occur, and yet the singular answer is rather crystal clear as to what should have happened, which is she should have gone to the police. It doesn't say that she did under any circumstance. In fact, this individual, again, who works for some education watchdog organization, brought it up in a board meeting, and then that's when the retaliation took place because apparently they didn't even know about it until it was brought up to them. 
if you're being touched 40 times a day by a student inappropriately, that's, that's the police. That's an immediate visit to the police department to file a police report for the arrest of the minor. And then a restraining order, and you, and you, you go through that avenue. Now, with that said, it's, it's clear here that this is part of the brainwashing that does exist, unfortunately. And again, you heard me say, I talked with a couple of police who were friends of mine who worked in the building even, and they said, if you tell anybody about your situation, you'll get fired. Well, this right here is proof that if you do the right thing, you'll lose your job. So, you know, Virginia law aside, I think this is uh, I think this is an interesting case to say the least. Apparently, retaliation in the workplace is against the law. That's a good thing. Um, I wish it were like that lots of places, and it certainly is crystal clear that that's the reason why she lost her job. But again, go to the police. Don't go to the school district to expect them to fix the problem. It's a sexual assault. That's a crime. But then again, it's Loudoun County. They do that for fun. Students sexually assaulting other students, raping other students, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, that's just called a Tuesday for these people. They do it constantly. So that's the outgoing superintendent. And now here's their current superintendent. This guy's a piece. Uh, His name is Aaron Spence, EDD, superintendent. He looks really familiar. He looks like a fat Matthew Perry from Friends. Uh, let's see. Here's here's his little bio on the website, on Loudoun County Public Schools' website. This will be rich. Quote, I'm beginning my tenure as superintendent of Loudoun County Public Schools as a school administrator and parent of two LCPS students. Like every other parent in our county, I want things to happen for my kids each and every day. These are the same things that I want for every child in this school division. I want them to be cared for, I want them to be loved, and I want them to learn something. You'll note the order I've put these three things in. A child cannot thrive and learn where care and love are not a priority. Love, hope, and power of relationships, high expectations, all of these form the foundation of our work. Blah, blah, blah. He continues, unfortunately, he says, quote, For all children to thrive, we need to be deeply committed to making sure that they are seen as human beings, as persons of inherent value, worth, and dignity. Our kids' needs and deserve, that doesn't make sense, our kids' need, okay, our kids' need and deserve, there we go, this as part of their educational experience. It will be my intention working with the community to find ways to ensure that learning is meaningful, authentic, creative, and joyful in our classrooms. Now I'd like to know some things. Now I'd like you to know some things about me, he says. I came to Loudoun Loudoun from Virginia Beach City Public Schools, where I served nine years as superintendent, so he's got money. In 2018, I I was honored to be named Virginia Superintendent of the Year. Before. That's the kiss of death. And again, it sure it certainly is. Wait for the follow-up to this story here as I'm uh as I wrap this up. Let's see. Uh before coming to Virginia Beach, I served as superintendent of Moore County Public Schools in North Carolina. Working with a dedicated staff, we improved the school district's end of grade proficiency scores, moving up 20 places in state rankings. 
My wife, Krista, and I have six children and are proud to be joining the parents who send their children to Loudoun County Public Schools. So he's been a superintendent in two other schools and in one other state, which now brings us to this updated story as of November 2nd. Loudoun County School Board member calls for resignation of superintendent after delayed reporting of student overdoses, specifically having to do with fentanyl. Again, new boss, same as the old boss. These people don't learn. You've heard me say it a thousand times. Image protection is their number one concern. There is quite literally a switch that must exist in their brains that makes them think, all of them, all these superintendents, that if they don't do the right thing, that they'll be able to hide it forever. What is that? That has to be, I mean, it's sin, we know that, but there has to be an actual psychological name, categorization, for such a, kind of, for such a behavior. Give this audio a listen in 321. 7 News is following a growing crisis in our local classrooms. Drug overdoses have been on the rise across the DMV. And in Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin issued an executive order to improve how schools report student overdoses. That comes after our reporting on the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office. And that revealed 11 students overdosed at Parkview High School recently, some due to fentanyl. And Montgomery County leaders will hold a town hall tonight on the dangers of opioids. 7 News has live team coverage of this issue. We want to start with Nick Minakis in Ashburn. And Nick, I know you've been pressing the superintendent for answers about this. How are they responding? Well, they really aren't responding to our specific questions. A few things here. Late last night, it appears it's the first time Dr. Aaron Spence, the Loudoun County superintendent, notified the entire community, or at least parents, about these specific overdoses that involve fentanyl. That came a day after 7 News is reporting on these overdoses, a day after Sheriff Mike Chapman notified the public about this. And Spence's email came out around the same time Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin issued an executive order statewide notifying that require schools to notify parents about overdoses at the schools within 24 hours. And if you look at the footnote of the executive order, it cites WJLA's reporting on LCPS knowing about these overdoses for weeks and delaying notification to the community. And 7 News is asking why Spence didn't notify the community sooner. Spence started his job as superintendent two months ago. He was hired with a mandate to improve communication, transparency, and school safety after the school's sexual assaults in 2021. Spence promised to do all three, but I'm hearing from some parents who tell me over the phone that they feel like Dr. Spence failed. I asked all nine Loudoun County school board members if they think Spence should resign because of his handling of this serious school safety issue. We spoke with Loudoun County, well, we tried to speak with Loudoun County school board member Harris Mahadavi as he walked out of the Loudoun County School Administration building. Here's what happened. Do you think the superintendent should resign from his position? Is it okay with you that the superintendent did not notify parents of these overdoses and he knew about it for weeks? Forgive me, I gotta run. Yes or no, sir. School board member Mayor Harris Mahadavi. A 
You can see Harris Mahadavi driving off in his truck, avoiding Seven News' questions today about these serious fentanyl overdoses and what his position is at all on the superintendent keeping his job. Now, we did speak with the sheriff's office. They're asking parents to have serious conversations with their kids about these potentially lethal drugs that are in schools in Loudoun County. We're going to have much more ahead at 5 o'clock on 7 News on just that. Live in Ashburn, Nick Minock, 7 News. Okay, so very quickly, I have this audio too. I want to play this also. This is that same reporter, a Nick Minock, if I'm saying his name right, from Ch- uh, Channel 7 News there in Loudoun County. He walks up to the superintendent, and there's a couple other people standing around the superintendent, a few sycophants, whatever else after apparently a board meeting or that board meeting, whatever it was. And again, he tries to ask him a very simple question. Why didn't he communicate about that faster than he did, apparently? And uh, and a number of other things. What's interesting is, is in this video, which of course you can't see, but you have these sycophants who just sort of hang around uh, the superintendent and sort of laugh off these kinds of questions. I'm not sure who's worse. You know, the head of a school district like this, who's a superintendent, clearly, uh, like this individual or the sycophants who just agree with the superintendent no matter what. I mean, I know that people have morals and values, but for God's sakes, death by association is a real thing. Guilt by association is a real thing. If you're hanging out with a superintendent who clearly has his head in his ass, um, and, and, you know, doesn't want to even talk to a basic reporter. I mean, what's he running away from? And that's what he ends up doing. Both the superintendent and some other employee are, are walking together into uh, one of the main, main office, I guess, offices, so to speak, within the school where, the, where they currently are. And again, the reporter's following him and asking questions, and, he, and he, doesn't, he doesn't answer anything. If he has nothing to hide, he would have absolutely no problem on camera at the blink of an eye answering a couple of questions from a reporter. The people who run away from a reporter are people, again, who have something to hide. He could even apologize if he did something wrong. He could say, I'm sorry. But there's no remorse in these people. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where they are. There's no remorse. There's only image protection. We aren't to blame. It's just society. It's the way that it is. Now, very quickly before I play that, solving drugs in in a school environment is actually easier than you'd think. The problem is that, as we all know, even the drug-using and drug-peddling students themselves have a tag in their ear like a piece of cattle. And they also, again, are basically dollar signs for a school district. So expelling them for bringing drugs to school is not an option, as far as they're concerned. Now, it always is an option. And that's all that has to happen. If you want to eliminate drugs in a school building, you bring in drug dogs, that's number one, and the same day, what you do is, is you send out an email and a text message to all of the parents. And it simply says this, if we find drugs on you or your child, or they're, they're caught using them or peddling them or whatever, they're gone. We're going to file police reports for their immediate arrest, and they will be expelled and never allowed to come back to this entire school district. They won't even be able to attend some district-related academy. That's not even going to happen. They're just gone, and you need to find another place to educate them. 
but that doesn't happen. There's one excuse, and then two excuses, and then three, and then four, and then more. And that's the way that it always works. That's why you still have the same problems in these same buildings. Because no one gets down to brass tacks. So here's the reporter confronting the superintendent in 321. Superintendent Spence, why did it take you so long to notify the public about fentanyl overdoses, sir? Why did I'm it take you so long? I think we're not going to do this tonight. We're not going to have I'm this asking conversation you a the way we're having this conversation. We've had a conversation. When are we going to have the conversation? Put the camera away. You and I go sit down and have coffee, and we'll talk about your approach to journalism, Nick. Okay? Why did it take you so long to notify the parents about the fentanyl overdoses? You know about the overdoses late September? We have a constituent. Yeah, I understand. Why did it take you so long? She does not want to be on camera. Do you mind? I'm asking you a question. Why do you? People want to know. She does not want to be on camera. Do you mind? To notify the public about fentanyl overdoses. Sir? Sir, this is life and death. You said you were going to improve communication and transparency. Do you think you succeeded in that? So, Nick, when you put the camera away, you and I can have a conversation about yes or no. journalism, and then yes we can no. talk about this conversation. Do you think you have improved transparency as the new superintendent? Yes. By not notifying the public about fentanyl we overdoses? Did. When? As soon as I became aware of it, I put a team to work on it. I, had him, I asked him to do a communication plan, an education plan, and a safety assessment. They got to work on that immediately, and before students were back in that building, we had a communication out to parents. And when did That's you all. tell parents? Around the time that the governor issued his executive order, that's that's when you that's when you did. It. No, I'm not. Why why'd you wait so long, sir? Are you going to comply with the governor's executive order to notify parents within 24 hours of fentanyl overdoses, sir? Are you going to comply with the governor's model policies on transgender bathrooms and policies regarding locker room use? A lot of parents wanted to hear your answer on this. And there you did not commit to notifying the public about fentanyl overdoses within 24 hours. You said you're going to lean into conversations with the governor's office. Is that meaning you're going to challenge the governor on his executive order? Are you going to, in the future, immediately notify the public about fentanyl overdoses happening in schools? Why are you walking away? When are you going to answer these questions, sir? Do you, do you care about school safety? That is the number one issue parents wanted you to focus on. Thank you. Sir? Again, very quickly, who's worse, the superintendent or the sycophants who stand up for a superintendent like that? They're just two corroded fingers on the same corroded hand. It's beyond disgusting. But these are the kinds of personalities and these are the kinds of people that work in this business. They're all supporting each other. It's all image protection. It's all let's back each other's play. Let's just laugh it off. It's amazing. Hiring this guy must have been absolutely hilarious because it was the outgoing board members who hired him. And many of them, of course, are already gone. So you have some who are brand new who didn't hire this guy, and then you have some who were already there who, of course, hired this guy. Again, coming in and saying that student safety is your number one concern and that's what you're going to do and blah, blah, blah. Again, it's Loudoun County. They're, they're world famous for being retarded. This is what they do. It's their, it's their bag. It's their game. Again, being a superintendent 
could be the easiest job in the world if it was a personality type that was morally sound. But it almost requires that they be immoral in order to accept the position. You don't get to that position making that kind of money being a good person. Again, you're hard-pressed to find a logical, moral superintendent. Because, again, look at the school boards that hire these people. They love the DEI. They love the SEL. They love all these games, gimmicks, and nonsense, and they love image protection. Nothing bad ever happens in our school. And if, oh, something bad happened, or yes, we're being sued all the way to the moon, well, we'll just brush it under the rug and act like that's not taking place. If you have nothing to hide, then you wouldn't have a problem answering a very basic question. And again, he answered it, but to look at the, to look at the journalist and say, turn off your camera, let's have some coffee, and we'll, we'll talk about journalism and your ability to do your job. What a dumbass answer. What a stupid answer. Remarkably dismissive. He, he's been caught not doing his job, and there you go. Loudoun County Superintendent, I wonder what he makes. It's got to be a quarter of a million dollars, at least. Has to be. Way too much money. That's the, that's the funny part about all these schools going insolvent, too, which Loudoun County certainly is as well. I mean, they have massive problems. I've brought them up on the show financially as well. I mean, they're in the tank also. They're tens of millions of dollars in debt, if memory serves, and it's only getting worse. But they'll never take a pay cut. The superintendents will never take a pay cut in order to make things, uh, you know, make ends meet. They don't do that. Don't want to don't want to fire that DEI coordinator who's making eighty thousand a year. No, 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 can't can't live without that person. That person has to remain. But again, back to the drug issue, just very quickly. You know, if students overdose, those students will be allowed to come back, guaranteed, guaranteed. If they were peddling the drugs, they'll be right back in that school. You know, after some interventions or some. Uh, training at the old farm or wherever they send them to receive some drug education, and then they'll be right back in the district, 100%. They just refuse to trim the fat. And again, when you work in an environment or you manage or run an environment where there's no accountability whatsoever, don't be shocked if reporters are coming up to you with a microphone and a camera asking you questions about you not following policy or doing what you're supposed to do. It's ridiculous. Anywho, okay, jab-related things. Here we go. This first one, and this is this is interesting. Um, you've heard me mention again the entire dental profession, and I've been reading a couple of things on some of these chat boards about the dental profession and how it's completely changed, and it's not what it used to be decades and decades ago. That it's all about chasing money and pumping people full of drugs and overcharging on procedures and XYZ. But when you throw the jabs into the dental profession, it really is complicating things. And let's face it, dentists aren't medical doctors. And they, and medical, because I mean, let's, again, we have to be objective here. Medical doctors aren't medical doctors either. But dentists certainly wouldn't know what the hell was going on with the biological weapons that they've injected themselves with if they took the COVID shots. And they, of course, fell for the entire scheme also. 
But this specifically comes from the truthseeker.co.uk, and it is titled, Doctors Warn Millions of Patients Experiencing Lifetime of Bone Loss After Year, After One Year, rather, After Jab. So here's what it says. It says, millions of people around the world are suffering from a lifetime of bone loss just one year after receiving the COVID vaccinations, according to multiple whistleblower doctors. Severe bone loss occurs just one year after getting the COVID jab due to the mRNA eating away at the bone. Doctors are now reporting. In the specific case that's, uh, that's highlighted here from, from X, is they specifically talk about the jawbone and, of course, the teeth being attached to the jaw. So it says, a friend whose husband is a dentist, quote, a lifetime of bone loss happened in one year in a COVID-vaccinated patient. This therapy destroys your T-cell innate immunity, my God. And then they said, quote, I can't tell you how many patients he sees per day that tell him their vaccine injury stories. One patient our age said he and his wife both had strokes the same day. He sees a lot of MD and registered nurses from St. Mary's, and the stories they tell him are shocking. I'll die on this hill. And then here's another post. It says, my father went to the dentist two weeks ago or so, and he got a transplant to bone loss. It's insane. On top of that, my father had his valve inside his heart replaced because the vax ruined his valve. It's insane. This also comes from Natural News down at the bottom here. It says, Dr. Amy Hatsfield, an Alabama-based orofacial pain and dental sleep medicine specialist, that's a mouthful, says she and, I'm sorry, says that she has seen a massive increase in patients as of late who say their otherwise healthy teeth and jaw bones are hurting and even deteriorating for no apparent reason. Quote, I've seen patients with no previous history of health issues, who have perfectly healthy teeth and now have pain syndromes associated with these healthy teeth, Hatsfield told the independent media. Many of Hatsfield's patients are suffering with head and facial, neurovascular and myofacial, I'm sorry, fascicle, rather, pain that includes headaches, toothaches, unrelated to the actual tooth or teeth, osteo necrosis of the jaw, sleeping problems, tinnitus, and oral and facial autoimmune conditions. Such conditions are linked to the propensity of Fauci flu shots to cause micro blood clots throughout the body, Hatsfield explained. I'm sorry, Hartsfield explained. It says one such person who started suffering severe bone loss after getting injected with Moderna's mRNA injection is 79-year-old Cheryl Alverson who had to have all of her lower teeth extracted due to a massive reoccurring infection caused by extensive post-injection bone loss. Alverson went to see Hartsfield, uh, who ordered multiple blood tests, including several specifically associated with blood clotting. They showed that Alverson's body had become overloaded with microclots from the shots. Hartsfield discovered that these microclots directly interfere with bone healing following extraction not to mention the fact that they're typically only that they typically only occur in patients who are taking osteoporosis medication or who underwent radiation therapy neither of which applied in Alverson's case 
The only thing Alverson did prior to developing these symptoms was take the Moderna mRNA series of injections for COVID, as well as the follow-up booster shot. Well, she's done. And almost immediately afterwards, her bone and teeth problems began. Dr. Doug Denson, another Alabama-based oral surgeon, said he's seeing much the same thing with his patients, many of whom he is now referring to Hartsfield for treatment. Uh, Denson says he is not 100% sure COVID jabs are the cause behind his patients' troubles, though there does seem to be a connection. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. He's not 100% certain, but he says there is a connection. Which is it? Of course, of course there's a connection. He said, quote, in my opinion, correlation does not always equal causation. Well, you're a dumbass. Again, he says, there have been some odd symptoms since the pandemic started, he said. It's just impossible to tell the exact mechanism or cause. Well, go get another shot then. I'm sure you'll be fine. Hartsfield has had to start screening her patients for the vaccine status due to onslaught of new patients she is seeing who are suffering from teeth and bone problems post-injection. Quote, I have to screen these people to see if they've been vaccinated when and how many times, and then I see if I can treat them, she said, adding that most practitioners do not screen for COVID shots. No kidding. No kidding. Dentists certainly wouldn't. They wouldn't have any idea. Like I said at the top of this, dentists are so far removed from reality when it comes to actual medicine. There, there's no way they would make these comparisons. They'd be like, well, tooth fell out. Big deal. Sorry. They, they would never take it back to the very thing that they probably, again, did themselves and forced on all of their fellow employees. He continued and said, when you ask the whole population to have a man- mandatory vaccine, that has more side effects than any other vaccine in history, showing in the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data, you will definitely see injuries, unquote. In the comments, someone emphasized the fact that so-called SARS-CoV-2 has still never been isolated or proven to exist. Correct. The disease is the vaccine, this person argued, adding that lockdowns, mask mandates, Job losses and social isolation only made matters worse. Quote, another monumental scam from the fake PCR test to wearing disgusting face diapers that lower your oxygen uptake and increase carbon dioxide inhalation from your own breath, which increases bacterial growth in your mouth. Unquote. Yes. Yes. And let's bring it back to school boards, shall we? That's exactly what every single school board in America who made children and their own staff members do all of that. That's what they caused. They also caused all of that. And everybody's wondering why your health insurance premiums are going up. Give me a flippin' break. Which now leads me to this. Hot off the presses. Peer-reviewed journal article here. Published online by Cambridge University Press. The title. Association between face mask use and risk of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Cross-sectional study. Shocking. Isn't it shocking? Here's the summary. Quote, We examined the association between face masks and risk of infection with SARS-CoV-2. Using cross-sectional data from 3,209 participants in a randomized trial, 
of using glasses to reduce the risk of infection with SARS-CoV-2. Face mask use was based on participants' responses to the end of follow-up survey. We found that the incidence of self-reported COVID-19 was 33% higher in those wearing face masks often or sometimes and 40% higher in those wearing face masks almost always or always compared to participants who reported wearing face masks never or almost never. (laughs) Was this published in the Journal of No Kidding? No kidding. We believe the observed increased incidence of infection associated with wearing a face mask is likely due to unobservable and hence non-adjustable differences between those wearing and not wearing a mask. Observational studies reporting on the relationship between face mask use and risk of respiratory infection should be interpreted cautiously, and more randomized trials are needed. Why is this so hard for even them to understand? If you put your hand over your mouth and attempt to breathe, it's going to be tough. If you put a piece of paper in front of your mouth and attempt to breathe, it's going to be tough. If you wear a mask all day long, driving around in your car in a convertible on a sunny, windy day, it's still going to be tough to breathe. Again, oxygen deprivation at the cellular level, number one cause of cancer blows me away. They actually have to create a study about this. Bashing your hand with a hammer can uh, dramatically increase pain that you'll feel in the hand that is being bashed by the hammer. But certain results should be interpreted cautiously and more trials need to be done. You've got to be kidding me. I think it's pretty clear that cognitive decline is one of the major side effects of the old jabs. Because again, if you have to create a study that's that obvious, well, that's sad. That's just really, really sad. Uh, okay, I'll tell you what. Let me end with this. This is this is a big problem. Uh, and I'll tell you, jabs aside, we know that the jabs, of course, have have an impact on insurance, as I've brought up numerous times before. But This really does have a a very serious long-term implication for our entire country here. And it has, again, to do with property taxes and insurance rates for property. Our Michigan business owner friend texted me the other day and sent me this. Now, again, they have an insurance friend, and this is insurance that is nationwide now. Apparently, this what I'm about to read here applies nationwide. This uh, This is not good. It says the following, quote, My insurance agent friend just got out of an emergency meeting. Starting January 1st of 2024, all landlords who own a commercial building are going to be hit with an insurance increase of 25% on the lowest end to 50% or more, quote unquote. This includes people who own homes that they rent. A massive attack on property ownership. She said my associate who owns the Holiday Inn is so fucked. His insurance is almost $100,000 per year. So this is going to be an extra $25,000 to $50,000 plus per year. 
And then I said again, is this is, is this just New York State or everywhere? She, uh, she said, nope, nationwide to the best of her knowledge. Also, she said, quote, out of the nine markets I can insure a commercial property through, starting January 1st, all of them are refusing to insure commercial except for three. So now I only have three total markets I can insure through, which is basically a monopoly. The six that are stopping offering commercial insurance say it has become too high risk and they are only going to offer traditional homeowners, life, auto, and medical. She said that she thinks that they, quote-unquote, were experiencing a large percentage of property owners to sell in the past two years when houses that were worth 100000 were selling for 300000 but people didn't sell. They held on to their extra property. Since they couldn't get people to voluntarily sell their homes so BlackRock could buy them, now, they're, now they are going to financially crush them. They need everyone to own one property, one vehicle, max. The clock is ticking only 26 years till Agenda 2050. No kidding. It really is the best way to crush a business. I mean, it's a multi-pronged attack here that is not accidental. This, everybody has to be able to start seeing this now. And I fully understand it's difficult for people to understand that there are schemers and meddlers behind the scenes who are clearly satanic and want a complete takeover of the world. And one of the ways that you attack, of course, their enemy, which happens to be us, is you trick them, you lie to them, and you get them to inject themselves with something that will that will hurt them, which ultimately will crush their business if they're a business owner because they'll be injured. They, they won't be able to afford to even work if they're even alive. And then, of course, they'll be in debt because they'll be using all of their medical services and they won't be able to pay their bills. But on top of that, when you increase insurance costs and they can't even pay that, well, they have to sell their business or they have to just walk away from it and leave it vacant, which means somebody's going to scoop that up. It's going to go into foreclosure. The bank's going to own it. And then BlackRock will buy it. And then what will they turn it into? Some compound for illegal aliens? Probably. A thousand other things. Again. People have to be able to see that this is a multi-pronged attack here, and it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a joking matter. This is a very real thing. But again, as far as school districts are concerned, well, you know, more counselors. That's what we need. We need more counselors for, for two-year-olds. That's their approach to solve the current, uh, you know, <laughs> the current trying times. And well, it's just the way that the market is right now. No, it isn't. This is all intentional. And the brainwashed are being used to destroy their own lines of work. And as we know, one of the other methods to their madness is to completely recycle and rehash all of these fairy tales as much as they can to stir people into a panic. And one of the things that's happening now, of course, is more ramped up panic about new illnesses and new diseases and child respiratory viruses and xyz don't believe any of this don't believe any of it if it's not a direct impact from the actual shots themselves it's due to shedding that's why people are continuing to get sick 
They're still traveling on airplanes. God knows why. I can't think of a more unhealthy place to be. Of course, outside of a hospital or a doctor's office, but an actual airport in an airplane, flying around with a bunch of jabbed people in a container, a giant can in the sky. I, uh, you know, people are still doing this, not even thinking. Uh, again, I know people do it for work and a thousand other reasons, emergencies, and you know X, Y, Z. But again, they're they're not making any connections because they're still believing the fairy tales. Um, our favorite California lawyer, A.J. Gochik, and I were texting back and forth the other day. He says he has a friend who didn't buy into the COVID lie, didn't take the shots, but is actually starting to buy this and actually buying into these, these new China viruses that are allegedly coming out. Again, there's no viruses. You know, we were going back and forth and we both agree that the shedding is always in play. The shedding is still a thing that is in play because people are still taking shots. They're still injecting themselves with things. And there's no proof that the shedding wears off. I mean, yes, shedding wears off from flu shots because, again, you can get that aluminum out of your body and you can get those unhealthy cells out of your body. And, of course, our blood refilters itself every 100-some-odd days. But even, oh, is it 120 days, something like that? But either way, um, th th there's just no evidence that, that the nanotech shedding from, from these, these COVID shots are, uh, are going away or somehow off the table as, you know, not, not being a viable scenario as to why people are still getting sick. And, and I mentioned this to him too, and, and he knows this, but, and I brought it up here on the show. Is that the you, you heard me say a long time ago that the entire fairy tale of the first go around with all of this, the, the I would say the the missing link in the initial fairy tale was that they were saying that children don't get COVID, quote unquote, and that was kind of the excuse for parents to not jab their jab their children, is they said, well, the shots aren't available for kids yet. This was very early on, of course. And then numerous people were coming out and saying, well, we're not seeing kids with COVID. It's middle-aged people and it's the elderly. Th those are the ones that need to take the shots in XYZ. Well, see, that wasn't good for, for the pharmaceutical industry because they want everybody wiped out, just like the shot companies want everybody wiped out. So what did they do, of course? They slow-rolled the approval for younger and younger ages now, right down to birth. Six weeks old is, is I think, the, the earliest you can get your shot, if not right out of the womb. But again, see, now they have the kid element. They're saying, well, kids are getting these respiratory illnesses and this pneumonia and blah, blah, blah. Again, even, even Dr. McCullough is saying that. Well, is he taking shedding into account? Is he taking into account that the, chi that, that the child himself has received the COVID shots? Again, you don't get respiratory illnesses unless you're being poisoned. That's how that happens. You're around people who are poisoned, or you yourself have been poisoned with something. They don't just happen. A child doesn't just get pneumonia. It doesn't work that way. There has to be a major shift in, a, in the weak point of a person's body in order for such a thing to occur. Now, like I said, you know, weather shifting, which the weather has been shifting, at least where I live, you know, it went from being rather mild and 
somewhat warm to all of the sudden very bitter cold and the air is super dry. That, that's going to change a person's body and they're going to have to adjust. That causes people to get sick and we all know that. That's not unusual. But for people to not consider the shot taking as being the cause as to why, again, now children are getting sick is, is ridiculous, frankly. And they're just going to use that. My overall point is this. They're going to use that in their new fairy tale now to get everybody jabbed with the same things as much as humanly possible because now they have the kid element, whereas the first time around they didn't. Now, we still saw, unfortunately, plenty of kids get jabbed with this because their parents are brain dead. But I don't know what else to say. Again, people are going to keep falling for it. I know that the vaccination statistics are rock bottom right now when it comes to people wanting to take shots, and that's a good thing. Less and less people are buying into the propaganda, which is a good thing. But damage done. Damage is still done. So don't comply. Whatever it is, don't comply. Whatever it is, don't believe it. But there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff again that continues to happen between now and next election. They have to throw everything at us again, one more time, including the kitchen sink. Just don't comply. That's all. All right. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Head on a swivel, and I'll catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.